Welcome to the Insider's Guide to Finance, where we dive into stories from the front lines of financing public and private companies. I host seasoned CEOs, fund managers, bankers, brokers, and business experts who will answer your questions about how to properly engage investors, finance opportunities, and build outstanding success stories. We dig into the educational how-tos and mechanics of structuring good deals. You'll also hear about strokes of luck, tense negotiations, and the pressures of closing, while also getting insights on how to best navigate the public markets. Welcome back to the Insider's Guide to Finance. We're here today with Jay Martin, CEO of Cambridge House International. He and his team produced some of the largest small cap investor conferences in the country. That is up until COVID-19 hit. The speed at which his business stopped was immediate and how quickly he was able to change course with his team and company is remarkable. I was very curious to see how he was able to do this and also to get his perspectives on what he's seeing outstanding public companies doing. A key part of his successful transition was a previous commitment to creating content and building up an audience of investors on social media and also in his email database. Now, there's no doubt that engaging investors has dramatically changed since we were thrown into this pandemic. Add to that a growing number of retail investors who are participating in markets, and we have a situation that requires management teams to act differently. Jay talks about how outstanding pubcos are becoming small media organizations who are actively building their own investor audiences. They're committing to producing their own content and continually speaking to investors and sharing their narrative. Jay also brings us some great insights directly from what's working for him, as well as the statistics that he has on how outstanding public companies are investing in their investor engagement programs. The travel restrictions and distancing protocols we're all facing have forced companies to think differently about how they're engaging investors. One thing you'll hear from Jay is that another Zoom conference just is not going to cut it if you're looking to stand out from the crowd. There's tons of great information here, so enjoy the show. On the line, I have Jay Martin. Jay, welcome back to the podcast. It's been pretty much a year. Yeah, I guess so. Hey, thanks so much for having me back, Corey. It's good to connect again. It's great to connect. And I reached out for a number of reasons. And something that I just find so interesting is a year ago, we discussed conferences, you know, and being in a room with investors and presenting to investors and everything that is there is the business that you built. And given the events of COVID and or what has happened from COVID, you've had to do a hard turn on your business. And it's opened up, I think, some great opportunities. But I think there's a lot there that we can dig into because I know you've got some great advice around it. So maybe as a brief, what we can do is start off with an introduction for any of the listeners who aren't familiar with you and Cambridge. And then we can dive into how you've really pivoted your business and I think have found a very interesting path. Yeah, certainly. You know what? It's been exactly a year, Corey, because the last time we did this interview, you told me I could not record in the room that I called you on because there was such a loud echo. And okay. that was because I had just moved into this house that I'm in right now and there was absolutely nothing in it. So I was in this. Oh, I gotcha. Yeah. Okay. My home office was like an asylum, just big white walls. <laughs> yeah. So it's good to be back, man. Thanks again for connecting, Corey. It's always good chatting with you and I love the podcast. 
So at Cambridge House, we run some of the larger channels and events in the small cap finance sector. Essentially, Corey, we're a group of investors that help other investors connect with opportunities and simultaneously help companies connect with capital, right? Capital groups, retail investors, et cetera, capital opportunities. So our main platform these days is our YouTube channel. It's kind of become home base for investment focused content. If you're interested in the small cap space, we're sector agnostic. We do deep dives into every small cap industry that has what we feel to be strong opportunities. Right now, that's precious metals. We're still looking at a lot of health science, a lot of telemedicine across the board, you know, whatever really looks good. We've had quarters where we're really heavy into esports, really heavy into crypto technologies, security, energy. We spot the opportunities and we do our best to make sure investors are looking at the right stuff at the right time because you know how trend dependent the small cap finance sector Mm -hmm. is. A year ago, you were a conference company and it was about putting together physical events. And the way you describe Cambridge now, you mentioned that you have a number of different channels. And now I think it's really moving in online. And I think you guys just cracked 100,000 subscribers on YouTube as an example. That's a very meaningful number of subscribers on a channel and just there. So I think that's interesting. And can we go into what has happened since in the last year, especially with COVID and how you've repositioned the business? Yeah, for sure. I mean, fortuitously, I think that COVID aside, we we're beginning to see the writing on the wall and not in the sense that we thought events were going to be crippled or even be in decline. To be honest with you, I didn't see that, but we did see the massive opportunity for us to take our business to our digital audience, which was just rapidly outsizing our physical audience. It only makes sense. And this began, Corey, just by taking all the content that we'd showcase at our conferences. We work really hard at getting who I think to be the best keynote speakers in the business the most timely and exciting debates and panel discussions in our sector on our stage at our events. And I really, really love that and truly miss it right now, you know, Mm -hmm. knowing that we can run events right now. There's a real thrill getting up on stage and getting to have amazing conversations. And we started recording all this content. It's so much work building these agendas that we thought we'd be foolish not to be distributing this content post show, you know, after the event. And That was the genesis for our YouTube channel, which we launched very passively five or six years ago and grew it very passively just by continually uploading new content from the six to nine events that we would run each year. And because of that, when COVID hit, we didn't have to wonder, Corey, if this was going to impact our business. I think a lot of companies probably had to take a few weeks or months and wonder, you know, is this going to impact depending on what line of work you're in? Is this pandemic going to affect my business? We knew from the first hour, right? As soon as Mm. you started to come in, it was like, yeah, we know events are getting smoked out right away and it's Mm. going to be a long road back, right? I tend to be a perpetual optimist, but when it comes to business, I try to be very practical and told my team from day one, guys, we're not going to be running a conference for a year and a half. And they thought I was crazy and overreacting. And I truly wish that I was, but you know, you've got to prepare for the worst. And so fortuitously, we invested significantly in our digital products in the year and a half leading up to this, mainly our YouTube channel and our newsletter, right? Which we distribute to about 50,000 people and investors in the space. And now that's become our main platform, YouTube and our newsletter. And we're cranking out new pieces of content, video content several times per week. We've got a couple shows that we run 
I'm starting to treat our channel like a network because I think we've got a great audience. They're, they're hyper engaged. When we put new content out, the comments are very enthusiastic and the shares and all this. And so I host a show on the channel called The Backstage Pass, where I interview people that our audience is asking to hear from. And I tend to focus more on the macro picture. Whereas Georgia, one of the members of our team, she hosts a more granular look at small cap investment opportunities. So she gets sort of down and deep with the CEOs and the companies themselves. And then we're actively shopping right now for essentially new programs to run on the network. So I'm always looking for new content that has longevity that we feel is unique, brings new information to investors and adds some diversity and variety to our channel. So For anybody listening to your podcast, hit me up if you like to create content and you need a platform. If you think it's worth the listen, I'd love to connect. Awesome. That's good to know. And what has come out of this that I think is interesting and from our earlier conversation just before we hit record was when you look at companies, I'm very much of the belief that companies need to become content producers themselves. And it almost feels just cliche and worn out to use the word content and content producers and thought leaders and all of that. But it is an absolute requirement now. And so as you touched on, that companies need to become media properties in themselves as early stage public venture capital companies. Can you expand on that? What are your thoughts on that? Why do you see it that way? Yeah, I completely agree. I think that One lesson a lot of small businesses and large companies are learning right now is that no matter what line of work they're in, they also need to be a media company. And when I say that, what I'm discussing is that we have a severe trust issue when it comes to the media enterprises that we're surrounded by. And this isn't new. You know, I think we've been walking down this path or running down this path for a while, but the difference is now everybody realizes it that there's a severe lack of trust in many of the mainstream media companies and and news sources that we have access to. And this is a good thing, right? I think because it forces us to take control of our own news flow and look deeper for individuals and personalities that we feel that we can trust, that have opinions that we agree with and equally important to find opinions that you disagree with. Because I think that today we live in an era where that kid with 500 Twitter followers might be a more reputable source of information than Fox News, right? That Mm. kid studying 80, 90 hours a week, digging deep into all sorts of sources on his end or her end and providing their perspective. And really that's all news is, right? It's just that individual's perspective on current events and it's not right or wrong. It's never right or wrong. It's just their perspective and their bias. And I think that confusing that with fact is a big mistake. And so companies need to take advantage of that and get ahead of that and tell their own story, right? And that's why I think it's more important now than ever for companies to be writing their own news flow and entrepreneurs to be their own spokesperson. It's so critical now because Mm. there's such severe distrust that you relate to people, right? And you trust people. And I do anyways. And so I am absolutely partial when I'm investing and I'm very active in the small cap sector. I wouldn't even look at a company unless I've had a conversation with the CEO, unless I see them promoting and sticking their neck out and telling the story and I can see the passion and start to understand their personality a little bit. That's, I guess, my main method of diligence is to understand who's steering the ship, who's going to be making the decisions with my capital, whose judgment am I betting on here? And there's something there in the sense that as an active investor, 
especially now with not being able to go to conferences and meet and greet the management teams, both for retail and the institutional side, when it comes to that content production and distribution, I mean, that's now becoming the main way we're seeing people communicate the potential of their company. But I argue again that we need to go well beyond just another Zoom virtual conference. It's like, I don't know how many people register to something they give very little shits about, right? I mean, it's just so hard to get anybody engaged on that level. What have you seen companies do or what would you like to see more companies do, including potentially some of your investments that would lead down the path of being a media company and not changing their business, but in producing content that helps them get their narrative out there. What would you like to see? Well, you know, I'll pull up an example. And the guy that immediately comes to mind is a guru in this sector that probably all of your listeners know. And I think he single-handedly is currently the reason that everybody knows Sprott Global right? And it's not Eric Sprott. It used to be, but it's Rick Rule today, right? Hmm. And people know and trust and invest in Sprott because Rick is everywhere all the time, right? That guy does more media than any other personality in this space that I've ever met. He works harder and works hard just at getting in front of as many people as possible. He's on every stage at every conference. Today, he's on every Zoom interview. You know, he's doing every podcast. It's a lot of work. People might say, oh, he's a media whore, but it's like, no, not at all. He understands the necessity of continually communicating and updating any interested parties, shareholders, viewers, et cetera, right? And Sprott's a public company. People could take a lot from that, right? That's leadership in the public markets, I believe. Hmm. Interesting. He's a great person to reference there because, yeah, he's omnipresent. And what about with the work you've done? I definitely encourage people to subscribe to Cambridge and to everything you're doing there because I love your writing. But the question I have is news flow, even something as a newsletter coming from a public company or even a private company on a regular basis. How are you approaching your content creation and actually the distribution of it? Is there tools you use? Is there tricks you have? I mean, it becomes a hell of an undertaking. But once you can get into a flow, it becomes almost natural. So how have you approached this to become just a natural part of your business? Well, first of all, thanks for the kind words, Corey. It's definitely a passion and something I really enjoy the writing on behalf of our business. And I think the most important lesson that I've learned since I started publishing a weekly newsletter, which was only about two years ago, it's fairly recent. And when we launched, I think that the voice I would write with was not truly authentic. And it took a bit of time to understand how to communicate for me to learn how to communicate the written word. And Mm. where we're at today, it gets back to that perspective and bias. I'm only going to tell you my perspective and bias. That's what you're going to get from me. And I can't pretend it's anything else. I couldn't pretend to be some agnostic anchor. That's not who I am, right? I have opinions. I have biases. And... I think recognizing that in all media sources is hyper important because you're going to get it whether you think so or not. And so, you know, our subscribers hopefully enjoy that bias and enjoy that perspective and either agree or disagree enough to pay attention because it's just as important to listen to the perspectives you disagree with to make sure you're identifying blind spots and seeing things that might be out of picture. So, so that's it. I think there's more critical eyes on authenticity than ever before. And so you can't get away with faking it, I don't think. Yeah. 
Yeah. Let me drill in on that, man. I mean, when you talk about kind of that authentic voice coming from whoever is the writer there, I mean, I have noticed that in your writing. It's colorful. I mean, it's not fluff, but you put a lot of thought into it. And it's not just facts and figures by any means. There's story behind it. There's a narrative that goes with it. It takes me somewhere. And what I argue, and I think is really important, is I think that companies need to start breaking away from the average press release. They think that if they issue a press release once a month, that's going to be enough to engage an audience who's going to start to understand the story. And my feeling on it is why not take the Warren Buffett approach? I mean, Warren Buffett's annual reports, they're colorful in themselves. They don't just use straight facts and figures. He has all sorts of metaphors and different ways to communicate what is important for his shareholders. And I really think that companies need to start doing that themselves. A hundred percent agree. And, you know, there's almost this pressure when you're the leader of a ship and you start speaking publicly about your business, there's this pressure to talk about what's working really well and to celebrate your wins and to inspire, encourage, and provide confidence to your shareholders or your followers. But as you know, like life isn't that peachy and entrepreneurship has far more bad days than good days. That's just the reality. It's, mm-hmm. There's a reason most people aren't entrepreneurs. It's a good reason. But hopefully the good days outweigh the bad days, right? That's what it's all about. And that's honestly, Corey, when my newsletter turned a corner, I decided one day just, fuck it, I'm going to write about the worst day that we've ever had. And I started doing that. I wrote this lengthy letter about being literally days from bankruptcy, having a bailiff in our office seizing assets because I couldn't make rent. Like this is Mm. 2014, I think. And we were in dire straits. It was very close. I remember I literally walked across at a bailiff in my office. He wasn't leaving until he got paid or he was leaving with everything. My staff's looking at me like, what's going on? And I got no answer. We are stretched. I don't have a personal credit card I can use to cover this. It was like 11 grand or something like that. And I literally walked across the street to a close friend of mine who works at Canaccord Genuity. And I just said, look, here's the situation, man. I don't know what we're going to do here. I didn't go there looking for a hander. I just went to chat through. He's a good buddy of mine. And and he cut me a check for 11 grand and said, you're in business another day. And it's stories like that, though, the fight back. Because, man, like, don't be ashamed of those things. It happens to everybody. You're going to get knocked down. You're going to get wiped out. It, mm-hmm. you know, you're going to have horrible errors and make big mistakes. But that's what forms you as an entrepreneur. And every entrepreneur can relate to that. And every entrepreneur is going through their own version of that. And that is a story I want to hear. That's what I want to hear. The CEOs that I want to invest in, I want to know they're battle tested. I want to know that when Mm -hmm. they have a bad day, they'll get up and keep swinging, you know, because it's going to happen. And when plan A fails and then plan B fails, what's plan C? You're going to need a plan C, right? And that's relatable, right? Get rid of the shine and the we're killing it. Everything's going our way. It's just not the case, right? Every day is a fight. Yeah. I want to do this, right? They're full of shit when they're saying that. And, you know, Jay, there's something I interviewed a gentleman, Peter Lerman. I basically positioned him with a question, said, what was one of the most defining times in your career and in building your company? And he had raised millions and millions of dollars for the private equity platform he had been building out. And it was so interesting because he just paused, this pregnant pause, and then he all of a sudden opened up and you could feel he still had the pain of a major mistake that happened early on in his company where he almost lost that company. Mm. That one episode was just so powerful and him demonstrating and talking through what it really is to be an entrepreneur. And so what you're saying there and what I'm hearing is 
something that I think you can take away from this is people who write checks, especially those in, you know, can write large checks, have often made their money by going through major mistakes in their career and then coming out on the upside from it. They've learned a lot. They understand what it takes. They've been through it. And it's important to communicate the bad things, in my opinion, because that all of a sudden makes it a lot more real. It makes it truthful, the, the experience that that leader is going through, and the check writer can relate to it. But when it comes to always just trying to show that things are great, that's where I think your armor is down because there's no way for you to step back and be more truthful with those who are investing in your company. The question I have, though, is do you think this is possible for public companies? For the companies you and I work with in the early stage venture market, can they do that? And can they do that without finding themselves in a world of hurt? I want to say absolutely. And every company is going to have their own experience and maybe be punished for being too authentic. Maybe the market will punish a CEO for stepping out and saying something controversial or questionable. And that's absolutely something that people should be conscious of. But I believe more and more those days are behind us. I think people don't only expect, but they crave they crave authenticity because they're not getting it many places right now, you know? And so the bold ones who can step forward and be real, look, I mean, the more daring and bold you are, the more people will stand up, point the finger and criticize you. Take that as a vote of confidence that you're doing the right thing, right? Easier said than done. But we live that now, right? With most of our content living in public forums where the comments are live conveniently hidden behind people with anonymous social media handles. It's like, that's the world we live in, man. People love to cut you down. But yeah, I just think the bold ones will be rewarded. You reminded me of something I've thought about frequently, where if you're not falling on your face on a regular basis, then what you're doing isn't very interesting mm. uh, or unique. And a uh, quote that a good friend of mine always reminds me when sometimes running a business, you're hesitant to charge towards something when you think the answer might be no, right? The big sale or the big idea you want to push forward in the boardroom and you're hesitant because the directors might tell you no. But if you're not getting no on a regular basis, then you're just not pushing hard enough if you want to do something exciting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Many, many no's leads to the success of that one yes. And yeah, you need to push for it. And I hope and want it to be true as well that the companies that you and I are most involved with can start to push themselves to be more vulnerable out there and to communicating the stories of the ups and downs of the business. And perhaps it's too ideological that somebody can be that authentic as a public company. But man, would it be really interesting to see. And I mean, you start to think a bit like Elon Musk and how he's just gone out there and he just says what's on his mind. And he obviously has a hell of a lot more clout to be able to do these kind of things. But look at what it's created for him. Yeah, 100%. And that's the, probably the example that everybody listening to this podcast is thinking of right now, right? We've done all those things. <laughs> yeah. And has been punished short-term and rewarded long-term and continually respected as not just an entrepreneur, but an icon. Yeah. Now, for management companies in the space, the early stage public venture capital, you know, more and more, and especially the content you guys are creating, retail investors are taking hold. And I spoke with another guest and you know he made the point that brokers, they were access to deals. Now deals, you can buy into anything. You could go get a Robinhood or a Quest Trade account and you can buy into any early stage company. So retail is becoming almost anybody 
who wants to participate. And that also includes high net worth individuals that can actually really move a stock and can be very sophisticated as well. What's your take on retail and what are you seeing and what are the dynamics of the market environment that you're observing? Well, I don't think the day of the broker is behind us yet. In fact, I'm always looking for new brokers. Okay. Strictly, you can probably hear my kids screaming in the background there. No, man, all good, all good. <laughs> it's COVID, work from home. Yeah. I don't think the day of the broker's behind us. I still am always looking for new deal flow that typically comes through the right broker. And that will get you the private placement opportunities that really provide serious risk reward potential. Yeah, the retail landscape is shifting and it's exciting right now. I mean, there's some chaos happening out there right now. Whatever it is, three plus million new Robinhood accounts, another million and a half, two million on stash. And these call them micro traders have the ability now to move the market. And Mm -hmm. the sentiment that I'm reading about, like, oh, this is the dumb money. It's a bit of a misnomer to me. Like it's a bit of a mistake. I feel like this is the generation we've been waiting for to enter the space and they're here now, right? And it is a treacherous market to start in, right? For sure. And then these platforms make it remarkably easy to get access. But what I see is millions of people who are suddenly paying attention to the market for the first time and they're going to make tons of mistakes and lose a lot of money. And most of them will lose all of it, right? Hopefully they're not putting a lot in, but this is the next generation of retail. You're watching it right now right? You're watching it. And this is what they've been waiting for is that easy to access, not 17 pages of paperwork to open up a new brokerage account, waiting for process, all this stuff. It's like, no, I can download, create an account, fund and trade in the same day, right? If not two hours and then I'm live and I'm not getting billed every time I make a decision. This is the new norm. So you can hate on it. I think a lot of people question this, but I think it's great. It's exciting and it's the future and it's going to shake out over the next six months, year here. But there's a huge percentage of this population who's riding in on the back of this surge in Robinhood and Stash, et cetera. And they're going to stick around, right? They're entering as day traders with little information and little experience. But I think the smart ones will understand that value investing is a massively opportunistic, fun, and exciting way to grow your wealth. No one gets rich off of salaries anymore. It's capital gains is what you have to get on top of. And so, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, that brings us back to the idea of content and of putting yourself out there as a company and speaking to that audience. And I mean, arguably, the institutions, the coveted institutions who are going to write big checks into you and be the perfect long-term shareholder, they're going to see that content and be informed and educated and entertained by it as well. I think you start to get the volume. And I mean, you make such a good point there, man. I mean, these micro traders, they're trading barely any money but it has the ability to move the market in a big way. What if those people were to start to actually buy into a story, start to be educated by a story and become less traders and more long-term investors? And I think that's the paradigm shift that both the market and all of us as participants need to start to get our heads around. I'm excited to see how it shakes out. I think it's going to be a difficult transition. Yeah, it'll be lumpy. It's lumpy right now, right? It's very comfortable and... But yeah, I think the label that's getting thrown around in the news is the dumb money. And it's not the dumb money, but it is the new money. And the new money doesn't always know what it's doing, but it's here now, you know? And um, exactly, yeah, a percentage of these investors will lose everything, leave the market, never come back. That's going to happen. Another thing that's going to happen too is a percentage will understand there's, with a bit more patience and the right guidance and advice, there's significantly lucrative opportunities in this market that can be 
understood and reduced risk and increased upside. And they're going to look for personalities they can trust. They're going to look for the gurus they want to follow, right? In the industry that they're interested in. And, and so that's it. And to your comment about institutions writing checks into the right stories, I think more and more we're going to see the criteria for the quote unquote right story being a CEO who has understood the value of building a personal brand. Mm. And we recorded an interview with Marco Day, maybe a month ago, a month and a half ago now, it's up on our channel there. And it's a conversation between Georgia Tucker in my office, Rick Rule and Marco Day from Oxygen Capital and, and Puregal. And Rick referenced many times how the cost of capital for Mark has decreased dramatically since he started to build his personal brand, right? Mm. That's true. And I think that Rick, as managing money on behalf of Sprott, understands that. That's one of the things that he expected and saw and gained confidence in Mark because of. That was actually a really good interview, man. I really enjoyed that. Frankly, I didn't even see it in an interview or in an email, but I just caught it on LinkedIn where you guys were distributed and watched almost the entire thing and I was amazed. It was very well done, but that's really interesting. I mean, it's such a good point about reducing your cost of capital because you've invested in your personal brand. That will never be in a finance textbook for many years to come, but it seems to be what is happening now. Absolutely. Yeah. It's just, you're opening yourself up to more buyers of whatever you're offering. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? This actually transitions me over to, I want to talk about the platform you guys are launching and I don't even know if we can. And if you're open to talking about it, can you tell us about it, about the new Cambridge platform? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, good stuff. Well, you and I didn't even discuss whether we'll go into that or not. I don't know if you're going public with it yet, but why don't you dive in, man? Give us the goods on it because I think it's really interesting. Sure. So this started, Corey, because when I'm personally invested in the company, I try to be as much of an activist shareholder as possible and leverage the professional tools that I have to benefit my holdings. Because if I believe in a story and I think it's a good bet, I do want to tell people about it. And so We came up with this idea where now we have about 150,000 investors that tune into Cambridge House content. And frequently the question we're asked is, what companies do you recommend? And we don't give direct investment advice like that. I'm very open. If I have invested in a deal, I'm happy to share and say, well, you know, I am a shareholder of this deal and that deal. And here's why I like them. The DealFlow platform is a place that will showcase and host the content that we create written and video for our audience of 150,000 plus to consume where they can take a shallow dive into a small selection of deals that meet a specific criteria that we've agreed upon. And just because my style, I'm not a geo, I'm not an engineer, I'm not a chartist, I'm a people person. And so I often start with who else is in the room, right? Who's written checks, who's on the board, who's driving the ship, right? That's where I start. And so that's reflected in this deal flow platform. And so the deals that you'll see on this platform will be vetted in the sense that somebody I trust and I believe the sector should trust has given this company a vote of confidence. Hmm. So yeah, investors will see a small selection of companies we feel very strongly about. They'll have the opportunity to take a shallow dive, see some brief company information, watch a quick highlight reel presentation. And if they want to take the next step, sign up for a live presentation, which happens in the platform. Company CEOs will have scheduled presentations on a weekly or biweekly basis and investors can RSVP to one of those times. And so when we launch, for example, if 
Pure Gold is one of the companies on the platform. And Marco Day has got a presentation scheduled every two weeks. Investors that are on the platform consuming content, seeing the Pure Gold opportunity, want to learn more, can RSVP to a presentation and hear directly from Mark. Engage in Q&A. It's very interactive. Mark will walk you through a presentation. He'll steer the ship, run you through his deck. And if you like what you see and you want to take the next step, you can RSVP to the one-on-one meeting and then sign up and meet Mark or somebody from his team for a one-on-one and get the real scoop. And so as deep as you want to go, you know, some investors will hit the platform, know as much as they feel they want to know and make an investment decision based on the criteria just on the company listing. But those that need a bit more can hop into the live presentation or watch a recorded one because obviously all the presentations that we host will be it will be hosted in perpetuity on the platform following. So, you know, the historical presentations will be there. And if they want to go a step deeper, sign up for the one-on-one and have a one-on-one conversation with the CEO and get to start building a relationship. So yeah, I'm very excited. And essentially the, the message here, Corey, is it is handpicked deals from people that you trust. You know, mm-hmm. that's the, the mission behind this. So, you know, in our industry, that's people like Rick, you know, that's people like Frank Holmes, people like Marin Katusa, people like Nick Waddell, who have great track records, of finding off the radar outsized opportunities. And we're helping bring those to our investor base and helping cut, you can cut 80% of the opportunities that carry most of the risk and the least reward. So, you know what, when we discussed this before, what you said to me, which I thought was really interesting, and you framed it up earlier explaining the platform is the sense that being a people person, who are the people in the deal? Because ultimately it's that network which takes an asset and turns it into a success. And if you've got some unknowns or some nefarious characters in there who they're in it for different reasons, as opposed to actually building out a gold asset, for example, then you got a completely different risk profile. Whereas if you have seasoned experts who have built their careers in one sector and one sector only, and you can now see them on this platform and what they're participating in and perhaps see some commentary from them, it's something that I haven't seen anything like that online. And I think it's really exciting. Well, thanks. I'm super excited to launch. We're right now running a few companies through demos just to ensure, you know, it's a new tech platform. So there's all kinds of customization that I want to make sure is just perfect. So right now I'm running a handful of clients through it with our Pangea club members, which is our VIP investor club, just to get everyone's feedback and some deals are happening and that's great, but it's more to iron out the kinks, make sure it's great. And Yeah, you know, to your point about the people, and it's difficult though, isn't it, right? If you're not an industry insider, industry professional, to really know who those nefarious characters might be or who the winners might be, right? Yeah. And so what we aim to do and what we really do at our shows, we're just doing it now on the platform, is providing that third-party validation, right? Because you may have a full-time job, you may have a couple kids, you have other obligations, it's not possible for you to invest 30 hours a week in your portfolio, but that's what it takes. It's a super high risk sector, right? The Mm -hmm. the early stage, precious metals, venture tech, it's very high risk. And so that kind of work is required and you can very easily get promoted into the wrong deal. So Mm -hmm. to protect our audience from those situations, we're vetting all these deals based on somebody that I trust as the advocate and saying, I'll raise my hand and endorse this company, right? And they're not always right. You know that, but we can cut out 80% of the noise this way. Yeah. Wow. Interesting, man. Very cool. I think it has the potential. I mean, this is a step towards shaking up the traditional brokerage and investment advisor industry. And, you know, I really liked it. And I thought it was interesting you saying that 
you're actually on the lookout for good brokers still and that you still use brokers. But I think it's platforms like this which are going to give that industry a serious shakeup and perhaps it even needs it. Yeah. You know, and the other angle there is that all those investment houses are continuously looking for new clients and I hope to be a very effective pipeline for that purpose Hmm. because, you know, through this platform, we get to know our investors on a deeper level, right? You have a profile on the platform. I can see what kind of content you're consuming and make sure that we're showcasing deals that if you want to go as deep as filling out a profile, letting us know what you're interested in, market cap size, industry preference, et cetera, et cetera, then you'll get a bit more of a customized flow. If you're looking for brokers, it's a great matchmaking service as well. That's really what it comes down to is getting the right people in front of the right people, whether you're looking for an investment opportunity or an advisor. Mm, Interesting, man. Let's aim to wrap this up. You've really made a move into the world of content marketing and it's incredibly powerful. And my whole thing is that companies need to start doing this as well. And we're seeing some companies do it and do it well. And then you got those ones out there or those individuals, the Elon Musk's of the world who said, screw it. And they just go out and do what they want. And it looks like it's working. They're out there creating their personalities. Marco Day creating his personal brand out there. What final advice do you have or things that you see that would be easy steps for companies and management teams to start to embrace this and help themselves get noticed and get the engagement of the investors they need? Well, look, it's a tough job running a public company and I don't want to understate that. But here's some thoughts that I'll share, Corey. We survey all of our clientele and determine things like how many conference appearances is a company making per year? How many marketing initiatives are they engaging in the year? What kind of marketing initiatives? What's the marketing spend the company allocates every year? And there is a direct correlation between the companies that are continually hitting milestones, growing share price, and not temporarily, but continuously, top grading and upgrading to the big board from the venture, and the size of their marketing spend. And there's a bit of a, maybe a stigma against over-promoting a story. Mm. But I can tell you, if you look at the top 15% when it comes to the performers in the industry, and I don't mean they had a good month or a good quarter. I mean, continuously, year over year, serially successful companies. In Building value. 100%. Yeah. Average Sustainable market, value. Yeah. 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 The average market spend is $1.2 million on an annual basis. Hmm. You don't have to go far down that food chain for that annual spend to drop to $150,000. Public company CEOs have some of the toughest jobs in the world because I have to worry about building a business. I have to manage my staff. I have to avoid risks, all this stuff. I don't have to worry about shareholders. It's a whole other ballgame. And the CEOs who are able to finesse both or build the two in the box strategy where they've got one building the team and one managing and communicating with the shareholder base, those are the companies that knock it out of the park. And that can be a challenge, but it's CEOs like Ivan Bebek. In normal times, he's on the road 12 months a year. He's in that top 10%, both in company performance and marketing spend. He gets it because he's working very hard to attract shareholder dollars. And then he knows he's obligated to communicate to them and understand that he's got a relationship with all of these shareholders to continually support Oren as they move forward. And then his second job is making sure Oren hits their milestones and knocks out of the park for those shareholders. So yeah, it's a tough dance, but it's hyper important. So if you're not able to, you know, find a team that can help support you in that because it's not just about building the company. If you want to go to the public markets for capital, you have to satisfy the public market's appetite for information and updates. It's, it's super important. Mm. Awesome, man. Thank you so much for that. I mean, I think it's really important advice. 
especially because I think there's way too many good CEOs out there with good companies and good intentions who just don't understand that it is so important that they invest in this. Otherwise, they're just going to ride along in a company which will never get recognized for its value. And that could be their career, their retirement, everything they're putting into, and it will never be recognized unless they start to invest deeper in this. So hearing that from you, it's coming from a very credible source. You've been in the industry a while and you've also got the data points to reflect on. It's a great piece of advice, man. I appreciate that. Of course, Corey. It was great chatting with you, man. I'm really glad we connected. Yeah, absolutely. Nice to talk again. So we'll get this posted out and it'll be well received. Thanks a lot, Jay. Thank you, Corey. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Insider's Guide to Finance. If you enjoyed what you heard, please share this with your friends and colleagues so they can benefit as well. You can also subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or the Play Store. Your support there is really appreciated. For future episodes, if there's a question, topic, or specific person you'd like me to interview, feel free to reach out. You can connect with me on LinkedIn or through my website at creativereturn.ca.